know how you completely messed up the um, fourth round draw of the Carabao Cup. I, I messed it up. Yeah, you messed it up. Did I? Well, you and Don. Yeah, there, there was two people there. Yeah, you, you and Don Goodman completely messed up, pitting four sets of Premier League teams together. Yeah. And lots of lower league teams together. Yeah. Thereby creating mm. a massive imbalance in the quarterfinals. That was clearly Don and I's intention when we when we did the draw, because clearly it, it wasn't random. Right? It wasn't just chance that no, these no, no, teams were no. drawn together. Very, we, you we deliberately waited we deliberately did this. In that yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, well, um, the quarterfinal draw is happening on Thursday, the 31st of October, which mm. may well be before people have listened to this. Yeah. Um, and it's been done on an excellent radio programme. Yes, I've heard rumours of who's doing the draw. Do you want to fill us in on who David is? James is doing the draw. David James. But he's doing it on an excellent radio programme. David James, goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. Calamity James. Former Strictly contestant. He's, he's handling small balls. <laughs> I think they were hoping that he would be still in Strictly when appearing on this particular radio show to do the draw for the quarterfinals yeah, of the Carabao Cup. He wasn't particularly adept at handling the larger football-sized ball. How's he going to go on handling... He was an incredibly successful international goalkeeper. He was. He was. He was part of the England squad that I was very much part of. Has Integral, David, people would say. Has David James been briefed that in all cup draws, Manchester City will play the weakest available team at home Ooh, to make Steve sure... A, to say that Southampton are weaker than Colchester, I think is... I um, don't know, based on current form. <laughs> you did see the Leicester game, didn't you? I did see some of the Leicester game. Um, but uh, David James will be doing that on the Zoe Ball Breakfast yes, Show on this. BBC Radio 2, which, on the odd occasion, involves an excellent sports presenter. Who, who would that who would that Mike be? Williams is his name. Yeah, what a guy. <laughs> oh, yes. Tune in on November the 18th because that's when I'm back on it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so he'll have to do a better job than you and Don. So, Hinchcliffe Goodman have been usurped. Biffed off. By Ball and James. Ball and James. Sounds like a terrible firm of lawyers. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, Vogue, Let Your Body Move to the Music, and Andy Hinchcliffe. Like a virgin, touched for the very first time. Uh, Rory is hoping to return next week. I know he continues to appreciate uh, your incredible generosity. You have helped smash the Smith family's expectations uh, for their Woodland Trust memorial to his brother, Rob. Um, if you'd like to add your kind donation, you can still. Justgiving.com forward slash Robert dash A dash J dash Smith. Um, thank you on behalf of Rory. Uh, meanwhile, I am reliably informed by sources close to the podcast. Um, there are just a few tickets left for our live show. The Set Piece Many 100th episode spectacular is taking place on the 13th of November at the Anthony Burgess Foundation in Manchester. And you could be there in just two weeks' time at time of recording. Why would you dare miss the opportunity to spend time in our glorious company while also hearing a saucy not-for-broadcast soccer story, playing a bit of SPM bingo, and having the burning question of which super dry outfit Chinch will be wearing <laughs> answered on the night. Our show is part of the Manchester Podcast Festival. Tickets are available from their website. It's incredibly simple. ManchesterPodcastFestival.com. They are just £10 plus booking fee. Uh, getting in touch with the podcast, by the way, is very easy. You will note that you can find us uh, on Twitter at SetPieceMenu. SetPieceMenu at gmail.com is our email address. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Four emails today from either Buffaloes or near Buffaloes. Not favouritism, just rewarding, persistent Effort. We need to have a better term than near buffaloes. Near buffalo. Pre buffalo. Pre buffalo. Buffalo esque. Quasi buffalo. Night, that's it. Okay. That's the one we got. We in. will start with John Wood, who asks something pertaining to the aforementioned live show. Hello, Hugh Ferris, not the American architect, and others. <laughs> Very much looking forward to the live show. I can guarantee there will at least be two people there. A couple of things I wanted which, to ask. Which two of us are not turning up? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That is just Rory and Stephen. Number one, if there are fewer than 10 people, can we go to the pub and have the show there? Oh, nice. Well, with your two, our four, and at least a plus one of a couple of us, we might be all right. Will Chinch's soccer story, he asks us, his number two question, require me to get some sort of therapy afterwards? I can't. I don't want to reveal anything about the soccer story, but yes, just have a therapist on speed dial. Uh, see you all on the 13th of November, said John. I'm curious to see what your entrance music will be. Mm. Fingers crossed for some pyro as well, Oh, says John. There is no budget. There is therefore no pyro. Uh, Mohammed El Salah writes, greetings, gentlemen. First off, my 
condolences to Rory and his family during what must be an awful time in their life. Secondly, on the subject of the pod about players doing stupid things, you will note that was pod number 149, I would like to point out that there was a part of your analysis that was not brought up with regards to footballers doing stupid things. Celebrity culture and celebrity mindset, he says. Everything you guys spoke about is applicable to child actors or musicians when they go off the rails. Those crazy drink-driving child actors. No, exactly. They, They are out of control. There is an inherent difficulty that young people face when they become this famous. Being a 20-something-year-old man is difficult as it is. Throw in ungodly sums of money and throngs of adoring fans. Can you pluralise throng? But we have done here. And some just cannot deal with that. Look at any of the countless examples of young celebrities and you can see what I'm talking about. Why would Justin Bieber decide to urinate in a mop bucket in a restaurant, for example? Or Lindsay Lohan. He doesn't mean that (laughs) Justin Bieber urinated on Lindsay Lohan. He just means Lindsay Lohan. The point is, this is not an exclusive problem with footballers. Celebrities in any field go through this. Chinch, you're a celebrity at the age of 20. How, how can no, you no, no, uh, no, identify no, with any of those problems? Celebrity, I don't, were, football, were we celebrities? Are footballers celebrities? Are we, you, are we putting them in that category? They are. are they celebrities? Though? You are now. Celebrities. They are now. Are they? Yeah. We weren't back then. No. We definitely weren't back then. And, and you're and you're not now either. Okay, there's no need for that. It, I, I don't. This is a football podcast. I think if we'd been casting our net a little bit wider to talk about young celebrities and movie stars, etc., we'd have been here all day. We need we need to have some parameters to work within. So apologies for not getting onto that. What we do, we 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 were talking about players behaving badly. That could be a, that could be a good TV show, couldn't it? <laughs> players behaving badly. But it, we were talking. So why would we? We're not going to talk about child actors and Hollywood stars, are we? We're talking specifically about footballers, mainly English footballers, behaving badly. Basically, Chinch, have you had the same amount of divorces as Macaulay Culkin? Have I? I don't know. It's a question that I'm asking. Hal- I was home alone for a while. <laughs> yes, Hal Getz is on the email again. <laughs> you made sure not for long, though. Dear Set Piece Menu, says Hal, while listening to Chinch discuss his financial planning at a young age, it made me remember that I applied for a retirement account at the same age. That age Chinch was when you were planning for your pension? Uh, 16. There we go. Tremendous. My mother works in banking and impressed upon me the importance of starting your saving pretty much as soon as you begin to earn money. She regrets having not done this herself and so made sure I did it. The thing that I think that the footballing world and including teams, unions, academies, etc., needs to ingrain in young footballers, is that their lifetime earnings potential is so wildly front-loaded. Most people earn more and more throughout their 20s and 30s, with incomes peaking in their 40s and very gradually tailing off until retirement in their 60s. In that scenario, waiting to save until your 30s is far from the end of the world. But elite athletes' earnings start high in their teens and early 20s, they peak in their late 20s and early 30s, and often drop by an order of magnitude of two and often drop by an order of magnitude or two once they retire into their mid to late 30s. In this scenario, waiting to save until your 30s is disastrous, even if you do land well with a decent media career change after you're done playing. Sincerely, Hal gets. Incidentally, uh, Hal says, P.S., I recently listened to Chinch call a game between my beloved QPR and Brentford and his insightful colour commentary made a 3-1 defeat a little bit more bearable. I really like Hal. Clearly, we're on the same, a similar, I'd say a similar level. He was... Talking, thinking about his future at 16, I was doing the same. His mum was in finance. She worked in a bank. Yeah, my mum worked in a shoe shop. So basically, I feel I win. Although, having said that, your shoe game has always been excellent. It's been top-notch. Nice seven-and-a-half size. And finally, from Alan Shepard, not the astronaut. Hello, chaps. Did you see this feature in The Guardian recently on the enduring appeal of Jack Reacher? It was by Charlotte Higgins. We have uh, a URL, which we will attempt to tweet out uh, a little bit later on, on this, the day when the new Reacher novel is released to the world. Backtrack. I am capable of tweeting out a URL. You sort of said it as, we will attempt to. Once it was our more meant- social media executive <laughs> has learned to use social media. I, I must admit, whilst that is often a barb I throw at you, um, I'll be honest, it was because I thought that I might just forget to send it to you. Um, some highlights from this article by Charlotte uh, Higgins from Alan Shepard. Lee Child, whose real name is Jim Grant, mm. or James Grant, yeah. um, is from Coventry. Yeah. Who knew, he said. Well, we did, because we're fans of Reacher. The jokes about bleak landscape, says Alan, practically write themselves, which is rude, because Coventry is lovely. There's even something for lovers of the classics. Higgins writes, the fight scenes in Reacher novels remind me of arming and battle scenes in the Iliad, with their recurrent <laughs> shapes and turns of phrase. Finally, says Hal... A great candidate for Out of Context Reacher from Blue Moon, which is his latest novel, out today 
Wednesday, the 30th of October. I'd start, says Hal, with Charlotte Higgins' analysis of the passage for maximum effect and understanding of what is to follow. Simple words, she says, strung together with a real mastery of rhythm. Nothing fancy. Think of the simplicity of a Shakespeare sonnet. It's preference for one and two syllable words. Example, rough winds do shake the darling buds of May. The repetition of heavy and long. The way the final sentence coils and stretches out heavy and long itself, ready to deliver its killer kick. Child is a stickler for grammar, and so is Reacher. That about a passage which now follows in our latest edition of Out of Context Reacher, read today by Andy Hinchcliffe. His limbs were slow because they were heavy, and they were heavy because they were not only thick but also long. In the case of his legs, very long. He drove hard off his left foot and kicked out with his right, stretching low, a huge, vicious wingspan, aiming at anything, any part of the guy, any part of the swoop, any window of time, whatever came along. A little feature there, which will hopefully bring to Lee Child a little, a little bit of a sales bump in his book. Can a, a vicious wingspan, when you're kicking some wingspan, the arc of someone's foot, does that work? I, I'm not the one, really. I'm not, I, I shouldn't really be criticising Lee, Jim, for his writing. But I'm not sure sweeping legs can have wingspans, Steve. What do, you, do you think that makes sense how to would, you? How would you describe it alternatively, Chinch? Um, the arc of his foot, maybe. Well, the, I think, the, as, the, as you'll know, sweep of a le- wingspan. Char- Charlotte talks about yeah. Iliad and Shakespeare. I'm not entirely sure mm. arc of his foot really comes under. I did a bit of the Iliad. Categories. I really enjoyed Latin. You know, Matron Pater est in cubiculum. I really did enjoy Latin at school and the Iliad and Lee Chatton. Mm, not sure about that at all. Of, of all of the out of context reacher that we have done, the bit that Chinch has a problem with is whether or not you have a wingspan with your outstretched It's not foot. the only problem I have, but just reading that, that passage, it, it, that does seem an odd, uh, an odd kind of correlation to make between kicking, basically kicking someone's legs away and describing that movement as wingspan. Is uh, the man down or not, Chinch? Oh, he's down, right. and he's staying down. It's all about results for Reacher, Chinch. You should the ambulance know that. is on its way. Thanks to Alan Shepherd for providing us uh, with not only that passage, but also uh, a reminder that it is a very special day for all Reacher fans. And Chinch, you and have Blue Moon as well with but, the yes, footballing a footballing Manchester oh. City player has pre-ordered his. Uh, it's moon, on its way. I had an email this morning. It is on its way. Talking of uh, significant days, did you know, Chinch? It's ten years this week since your first Sky commentary. Is it really? Yes. Wow. QPR so, against Leicester. Many, many happy returns. With Alan returns. Harry. Uh, ten years, really. I knew and I'm still here. I took a screenshot of the uh, television graphic that said Alan Perry and Andy Hinchcliffe, and I put it on Facebook ten years did ago, you, so I was on. reminded about it. Did you it. do that? Because you thought that's the only game I'm going to actually... That's why you did it, wasn't it? It wasn't about my longevity. It's the fact that you'd be able to rub my face in it. I remember being a very supportive former colleague. Yeah, you remember when those days when you were... Mm. They just gen- gen- genuinely thought it was a big game, Chinch. The big game that I would do. The, yeah, mm, the biggest. Yeah. And now maybe because it was the weekend when the clocks went back in the UK, but the Premier League seemed to get a little bit darker, grimier and grumpier uh, last weekend. Therefore, it's no surprise that Stephen was in his element and has suggested this week's pod topic. Amidst a South Coast monsoon at St Mary's, Southampton shipped a record equaling nine goals, a route that was completed in front of an almost empty stadium after fans began filing out at 19 minutes and 3-0. While at the Emirates, Granite Xhaka responded to his own fans' valedictory booing as he was substituted in a less than graceful, perhaps maybe understandable way. So our question today is, should support be unwavering. Leicester running riot and Crystal Palace fighting back from two goals down is the context in which some fans decided to either walk away or show their dissatisfaction. And that's the point that they would make. There was a reason for their reaction. But should those fans just suck it up and support their team regardless, as many did on both occasions, it must be said. So should support be unwavering? Well, let's start with Friday night, because normally something that happens in a football stadium when fans are either sneaking away at 3-0 down with 80 minutes on the clock or perhaps with five minutes left to play, they're heading towards the car park because they want to beat the traffic or, or get on the train before the queue builds up or whatever. You hear an awful lot of, we can see you sneaking out and your support is, you know, all that business. They get an awful lot of abuse for it. But something that really struck me with what happened to Southampton on Friday night is there seems to be no dissenting voices as to whether or not those fans were right or wrong to be walking away at 19 minutes played and 3-0 down with a view to thinking, well, do you know what? 
the night is still relatively young. We can perhaps salvage something from this particular fiasco in the driving rain. Can anybody question a fan's sanity that they might want to think, Do you know what, I might be able to catch the second half of something else somewhere. I didn't realise it started that early, 19 minutes, a man down, 3-0. Maybe for, I expected maybe 5, 6, 7 then it become it's getting humiliating, isn't yeah. it? And that's that's because I've never really been a true football fan. Because I played clearly more than I, I watched and supported. So, yeah, if you pay your money to go, you're allowed to. If 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 you go into a theatre and the show is terrible, you and you don't like it, you you get up and leave, don't you? So, is it the same concept? You go to watch a football, you pay your money, okay, you support the team, but if it's so bad and humiliating and embarrassing, you've got every right. And if other fans can understand why you're leaving the stadium, there's not a problem with that, is there? Well, Hugh painted a glorious picture of what a grim night it was on the South Coast on Friday night. And I guess that comes into it as well. It wouldn't have been one of those nights that you were travelling to the football with a huge amount of enthusiasm in the first place. You know, the driving rain, you're going to be soaked through by the time you get home one way or another. So I, I guess it didn't take too much for a supporter to crack under those circumstances and head towards the exit. But it, it was the start of thinking, you know, at what point do you just say, I can understand what's going through that fan's mind there. Mm -hmm. Normally you would say you stick it out through thick and thin. Part of being a supporter is you, you take the glory when it comes and you accept the suffering when things aren't so good. But as we saw at Southampton on Friday night, and there was some correlation with the reaction of the Arsenal supporters on Sunday afternoon at, at Emirates Stadium is to whether there is an extent to which, as a fan, that support can be unwavering, that frustrations will build up over time. And if things are, are unravelling spectacularly, are you entitled to demonstrate your, your, you know, your disapproval, whether that's you know, walking out of the ground or in the case of what happened at Arsenal, jeering, booing, showing disapproval to the guy who is your club captain? I understand what uh, Chinch you said about the theatre example, but the, I suppose the difference is that the theatre is a predetermined set of things that you know what's going to happen and the audience is not necessarily playing any sort of tangible part. I appreciate that the actors might enjoy a laugh at the right time and a, a reaction um, to the narrative as it plays out, but football is not determined. There is a role that those fans could still play if they were to stay. So from a footballer's point of view, when you heard dissatisfaction from the stands, which I imagine was very rarely. Absolutely it was. Very yeah. rarely. Because stay on Hinchcliffe and play another 90 exactly. minutes they used to scream. Let's have some more of those long throws. Absolutely. Um, I would suggest that there, there is a benefit to having support in tough times. Would it ever be enough to turn around the experience of everybody, fans and players alike. If, for example, 32,000 had stayed at St Mary's and potentially their support might have helped rally Southampton to only losing five or six nil, or is there a, a, a kind of a little bit of common sense here where actually it, they wouldn't have made any difference? It's, it's difficult to, I think for, actually for players, we, there's, again, there can be a lot of criticism and praise on social media and that's one thing, whether players get involved in that or not. But actually, fans voting with their feet or with their voices carries... I never experienced, obviously, a game like that where it went so incredibly wrong that fans would actually leave the stadium so early. So basically, you're playing to pretty much an empty stadium apart from the Leicester fans. I actually feel that might, strangely, be good for the players to actually realise that if you... If you I think Leicester were reasonable. Leicester weren't absolutely mind-blowingly good. It's clearly, Southampton, even though a man down, to lose nine is, is completely unacceptable. That's not an excuse to say we had a, we were a man down. At home. So, again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You don't lose 9-0, no matter who you're playing. You, again, there's a pride in maybe keeping it down to three or four, and actually you come off thinking, you know what, that's the very best we could hope for. That's why it's so unacceptable. So, actually, fans, I don't know whether, were they, did they just basically get up and leave? They weren't abusing the players verbally or jeering them or booing them. They just simply voted with their feet and left. So I, I, I do feel that actually that might be strangely, if they're under any kind of um, kind of illusion that, that, that they could get away with this and actually the fan would stick with them regardless of the scoreline, that kind of 70 minutes might actually do those players an awful lot of good because the fans, and you can absolutely understand why, turn their backs and walked away because that is simply unacceptable. They'll say as professionals, we know, yes, this is not right, but actually playing to empty stands might actually make them realise 
you've simply got to do more than that. It's not good enough to say, well, we look towards the next game and we'll, we'll put it right and all this type of stuff. You have to be affected by what your actions bring. And maybe if the fans had actually stayed, the impact might not have been as, as big. I, I feel those Southampton players needed the fans to turn and walk away, play to empty stands. And if, if, you, if you think, well, actually, we're, we're professional, so we do have to look towards the next game, that, that, those 70 minutes should stay with you for the rest of your careers. And you should think, I never want to put my fans, our fans, in that position again, that they feel they have to walk away from us. We have to do more than that. We should have done more on the night. We didn't. So you've got to stop that happening again. So experiences like that, not just on social media, someone saying how terrible you were, that's kind of, you can either read that or not, but you can't get away from empty stands. So I, I do feel it was good for the Southampton players and the Southampton fans were probably right to do that because they, I'm sure they'll turn up for the next game as well. That's the thing, they will come back because they're fans. But and, actually, and they did at the Etihad and they, uh, Exactly. So night. they will always, it's their a lot club. A more than was, you would have expected travelled yeah, that far. The players will yeah. come and go, but the fans will always turn up. So on that occasion... The stain of what happened is, is I feel, will be not the 9-0 scoreline, it's the reaction of the Southampton fans towards their players. Yeah, because Hugh and I were both at the Etihad for the Manchester City-Southampton Cup tie that was Southampton's game following the, the Leicester debacle, which, I mean, if you know, if you could handpick a worse possible occasion to follow a 9-0 home drubbing, City away would probably be it. And there was, what you saw there was that that supporters act of defiance that the dark humor that comes with being a we football fan yeah yeah, yeah. We, we, we're gonna win 10-9 all that all that nonsense and uh, one of my favorites on the night actually was I, I heard uh, what was it the Johnston paints trophy you'll never win that so you know supporters have a way of reacting they have a way of galvanizing themselves don't they and I think that's to be admired mm -hmm. but you can also sympathize with how in the face of extreme adversity and to bring it back round to the the theatre analogy that Chinch mentioned earlier we are not getting what we paid for we are heading away now whether different fans of different clubs would react in different ways I'm not sure maybe that was a a very southern thing to say do you know what we are not getting what we've paid for and I'm not putting up with it. I'm going home or I'm, you know, going off to That's do something That's why I was surprised else. at 3-0 how quickly that happened because not saying... The you writing know, was on the wall yeah, at that stage. There was a sense of inevitability, really? I think. The Did way that the game had played out and the way that... Le but basically every time Leicester went forward, they seemed to so, score. So you're saying those fans knew that a 9-0 was coming along? Something ugly. It felt it had an ugly feel about it. Again, they, they probably understand the game more than I thought they probably did. But anyway, yes, if they, if they could see how bad it was... Then that's. I was just surprised about how early they left the stadium and the screen. You think, well, actually, again, it, it, we got to. And it, what, it, what, it's not the whole the whole stadium. We're talking about the first few fans who left yes. left after 19 minutes. Mm -hmm. This is not to say it emptied after 19 minutes. Mm -hmm. That was just uh, interesting to see that three 0 down, man down. There was a, right. The writing was on the wall. The incredible cloud of inevitability was over the whole affair, and they would have felt that that was the moment to leave. Now, clearly, that continued throughout the game, and it was near empty at the end. But some stayed and until the end and and they should be given enormous amounts of credit for doing so because it is a painful experience, I would imagine, for them to have to not only sit through uh, all these goals, but also the, the, the incredible national humility uh, that, is, that, is, that is given to them. But th I'm, I'm interested, Steve, about what you said about we are not getting what we paid for. You never know what you're paying for. You are paying without knowing. So if things go bad, that is surely within the circumference of what paying, you might be paying for. You're not paying, paying to win, for. you're paying to be entertained? No, you're paying to attend. To attend. Okay. There is no guarantee thereafter, no, no, surely not. not no. But this brings us back to something we have talked about on a previous episode about f fan entitlement. Uh, at what point are you entitled to... We, we spoke about it in, in the context of abuse that players receive mm -hmm. from the stands. But something has been created, hasn't it, over time, over the course of the last 20 or 30 years, that the, the cost of going to football has gone up so much. And the, the gulf between what footballers earn and what the average fan earns is so large that it is inevitable that that sort of thing will manifest itself. That, do you know what, I have paid £40 for a ticket... And at the very, very bare minimum, I expect to see professionals going about their business efficiently and with dedication and with commitment. I accept that sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, occasionally we draw. But at the very least, I expect to see the sort of desire, my desire for the club represented by those players on the pitch. 
and within the context of what happened to Southampton on Friday night, it wasn't just that what was happening in that match, they're on a pretty wretched run of form in terms of what is it? I think, you know, five or six games without a win in all competitions. So frustration was clearly building ahead of that game. So when you're suddenly 3-0 down, a man down, and you've only played 19 minutes, it's driving rain, the writing is on the wall, you can see where that sense of entitlement, I am not getting what I have paid for, I'm heading out. We were in London at the weekend, took the kids to the theatre, paid considerably more for the tickets for that than you would have done to go and see Southampton Leicester on Friday night. But nobody forgot their lines, no parts of the set fell over, and nobody seems to be underperforming. And yet you still walked out after and 19 minutes. This is not good Just enough. to make the point. But that's, 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 that's what I'm saying. That's, yeah. you, you, you are getting what you paid for. Now, yeah. I understand you exp- you, there's a certain expectation that football is unpredictable mm. and that a trip to the theatre, everything is preconceived and should be delivered as anticipated. Mm-hmm. But if you're paying West End theatre prices for a ticket to the football, mm-hmm. then are you not entitled to have a similar sort of reaction to a subpar performance? But also when, when things go as dramatically wrong as they did, that's when the professionalism, the players, that's why I say it's completely unacceptable to lose 9-0. Even, I, I, I don't know what excuses have, have the Southampton, the, the, the staff, you know, Hassan Hoodle, have they come out and actually said, it's because we were a man down this happened? Or they just said, it was just terrible. And well, they've donated a day's wages I know, but to, how the, did they to the foundation. Um, how, well, Harsen Hoodle said it was on him. On him, okay. So tactically, they're the, chasing game at 3-0. Seemed, and, and it seemed to be, uh, in, the, in the pieces that were written afterwards from those who stayed for the full 90 minutes, it must be said, uh, that there was, there was a, a, a tactical mistake in that he set up in such a way that allowed Leicester to play to their strengths and punish yep. Southampton, who then went down so early on to 10 men and they did not know quite how best to tactically adjust to stop Leicester doing what they were continuing to do. So essentially Leicester were playing switches from flank to flank to full, full back to full back and Saints couldn't shift across to be able to stop that threat. They were pressing in areas close, close to one full back. They switched it and there was acres of space and they seemed to be able to kind of take advantage of that throughout the game. So that is, that is a tactical error from Ralph And he said that it was on him. Yeah, I, I think Ralph Hasenhutl is a really interesting case study for the current sort of generation of Premier League coaches. I think there's an awful lot of what he does, which is very, very good, but it seems to be rooted in philosophy and approach yeah. and idealism. Yeah. And whether or not, as was demonstrated on Friday night, you know, tactical adjustments and being able to react to a problem are, are quite as sharp as they need to be it's in the intensity player, of the Premier League. playing by rope thing, which is yeah. what we talked about in, when, yeah. when was it, one, one four having seven? A, having a tactics board and then what's actually happening on the pitch. That's, that's why I'm saying to you, it gets to a point when you, it is basically damage limitation. So you should, at 3-0 down, a man down, you should not concede, no matter what the opposition do, six more goals. So I'm saying again, yes, tactically, coach gets it wrong, players get it wrong. But it's, it's fans again, the fans' mentality, players' mentality, players understanding the fan mentality. And that's why I feel physically leaving a stadium, if, if the players are in any doubt about how awful or the lack of professionalism they showed in that performance, they can't just draw a line under it, forget it and move on. That Hopefully the fans leaving the stadium and reacting the way that they did will teach them a really valuable lesson. Which maybe is a useful way of getting from Friday evening to Sunday afternoon. Uh, yes, just via this very small point, which is that the damage limitation that you're asking about, Chinch, actually came in the first half of the cup tie against Manchester City, where Southampton had 11 men behind the ball. I would imagine they're very, very scared about a repeat yeah, yeah. of what happened on Friday night, so fresh it was in the memory, that they, they damage limited as much as they could, were only 2-0 down at half time, grew into the game in the second half as if to say, right, OK, well, it's not happening again. I feel a little bit better. Now I can start to play the game that, that is expected of us and, and we would play most of the time. So I, I, I think the, the damage limitation came, but it came way too late. But also Man way City away. Late. Man City away, even though you're saying it's a, it's, it is a terrible game to have off the back of the match. Previous, it doesn't matter. Away at Man City And, and I think that's awful. why they you played really like they yeah, did yeah, in the first half. But whether they'd have done that if they'd been away at, um, I don't know, say at uh, West Ham or something, would they maybe they would because your first instinct is to say we don't allow this to get anywhere close to what happened before so the first half first hour we we play really conservatively because the fans will say we're 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 waiting to see whether you 
kind of, again, fold, because that's basically what happened, whether it be tactically or just in terms of their character, that they, they just basically stopped doing the necessary thing. So again, yeah, City away is, is not ideal, Twice. because they can, they can tear the very... <laughs> Got them again the, on yeah, Saturday exactly. in the Premier League. They can tear Where a team apart, no matter team. how you play. Yeah. So actually, they could have really put their heart and soul into it and still lost 6-0. And that would maybe, you'd have to look at that very differently than maybe losing 9-0 at home to Leicester. It might, it might happen again on Saturday. Um, I'm not sure Southampton's full-strength team is going to be out <laughs> with City. Sorry, just to, just, to, just to clear that up, where Manchester City will play oh, a full-strength right. team. Uh, Steve, you had a beautiful segue plan yeah, from Friday to Sunday afternoon, which I trampled all over. So uh, why don't we try it again and not edit out the first time? I'm just really interested that Chinch feels as though that sort of mass exodus from the stadium would be effective in terms of a player's mentality and, and understanding fan disapproval because we, we obviously saw the, the contrast to that on Sunday at Emirates Stadium when Granit Xhaka was substituted off after Arsenal had thrown away a 2-0 lead and they're chasing the win. You know, there's still, admittedly, there's plenty of time left but he was somewhat lackadaisical about getting off and then maybe, again, another example of frustrations that have been building up about the intensity of performance the commitment of on this case a certain individual boiled over mm. and he was you know he was jeered mm. and then that became booze or, right now let's rephrase that there was applause that he was being substituted off it was quite clearly approval at the decision to remove the yeah, captain yeah. from the game yeah. he reacted to that so then it then it becomes jeers and booze and he continues. Yep. He continues to gesticulate. Well, this happens exactly. to yes, and he says, "He says f off to yeah. to the crowd." He takes off his top um, and throws it away and storms down the tunnel. But you have to remember and, as well, ignores Unai Emery's offer for of a yeah. handshake. The game on the Monday at Bramall Lane, where Arsenal lost again, he was substituted in that game as well. So he's talking about a player's frustrations building up during the course of the week. So it already yeah. happens, and a narrative and over the, a course of months and years with Granite Xhaka yeah, as well. And the Patrice Evra criticism of Arsenal, which I think was fully justified, he reacted very strongly to that, saying, "You know, people doing all this talking about us." And I was thinking, "Well, if you played better, we." wouldn't be saying all these things about you so again his his frustrations have been building probably from the Monday the start of that week to the to the game against Palace so not just the fans frustrations building the players yeah. as well what we saw there was more of a, a snarling angry reaction that you might expect to see more often than that's that thing at Southampton where there seemed to be that reluctant acceptance that things had unraveled to the point where well, there's no point and weren't going to improve yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this isn't going to get any better and I don't want to see any more of it I don't, think you'd have, I don't think you'd have got that kind of reaction at Arsenal. But why is a player going to react better to fans leaving almost as though, well, you know, we've given up. We've given up on you, as opposed to what happened at Arsenal, where the message is clear, mm -hmm. verbally, vociferously, and in front of a large number of disgruntled people. Surely that's going to hit home with greater impact. That's, well, that's interesting because um, you're, you're suggesting, at least at the Southampton-Leicester chinch, that, that it's the other way around, or, or at least it's different there, that, that there will be a tangible long-term benefit to those fans walking out and kind of leaving those players to face the ignominy of an empty stadium and the embarrassment of the scoreline, that that will leave an indelible mark on them for their careers that they will know that they don't want to repeat. So there is a benefit to it, albeit in the long term, not necessarily the short term, which I think Steve yeah, is, yeah. is, is resp resp uh, responding to, but also that the Granite Jacket situation is that a more selfish thing for fans to do because there will be no tangible either immediate or long-term benefit because we're just hearing uh, as of recording on Wednesday that that Arsenal are going to offer Granit Xhaka uh, counselling because apparently according to Unai Emery he's he is upset devastated and very sad so this is you know this is a person who has been affected greatly it would seem by the fans in an immediate way, as you were saying, Steve, but not necessarily in a positive way for either him or the club and therefore those fans in the long term. I, I do feel they're very different situations. To me, the Southampton is very much a one-off and fans reacting in the way that they did that hopefully have an instant impact on those players going forward. The Arsenal problems have been rumbling on for quite a while since Emery's really been there and certainly the criticism Arsenal have had about the stylish football they play but there's no real spine and heart and they, they should be doing a lot more than they are doing. So it's not, the game against Palace is not a reaction to that game. I feel again going back to the game at Sheffield United and games and games before that, it has been ongoing for some time, the criticism of the style of the team, of individuals and but again, if you're Granite Xhaka and you're putting your hand to your ear and you're basically asking or, or kind of you, you understand that you're getting this feeling coming back off the fans 
and you apparently he said something again abusive or to to the fans as well. I'm not sure what he actually said, but he uh, said f off a couple yes. of times. So again, Finch. if you do that, again, it's <laughs> emotional. He's reacting to the to the to the fans' reaction to him. But if you do that, uh, yeah, it's well in a way, it's great that he's upset and and he needs to to deal with this situation. It's great that he cares, and ultimately that's what he'll say. I'm doing all this because I care. I desperately want things to be better. I want it to be better for you because you're the paying public. You're Arsenal fans. We want to do a lot better as well. But I, I looked at some of the Arsenal, listened to some of the Arsenal fan reaction after that game as well. And what was interesting was all the criticism was, was levelled at, at Granit Xhaka. And the interviewer actually said to the Arsenal fans, well, hang on a minute, before he comes off, I think the score was 2-2, before that substitution was made, a lot of the Arsenal fans, the criticism of the players and Xhaka had started at that point. And they're saying, well, maybe as, as fans, does that mean we're in the clear? Are we allowed to do this to our players because we're the fans, we're the paying public? but the players aren't allowed to react in the way that Granite Shaka does. So, and the fans seem to be saying, yes, we've got absolutely the right to say what we want and feel how we want, but players should not do what Granite Shaka did. Well, I think there has to be a balance there. Or both have I, to show restraint. Or, I think it's, it's an, it's emotional. It's, you don't want people made of stone and just basically the fans sitting there, arms crossed, watching the game and players coming off and, and, and not caring. Clearly, yeah, exactly. Clearly, Granite Shaka cares and that it came out in maybe in the wrong way. But again, maybe this will be something that can be good for both the fans and the players. Again, it's making the players understand should they behave in this way, should fans behave in this way towards their players. But the, the Southampton and Arsenal situations, I feel, are, are totally, totally different. One is very much a one-off at Southampton and the Arsenal has been building. And this is, I think, it's a dam that's been waiting to burst for quite a while and it's ended up in what happened against Crystal Palace. But also, <laughs> even in that game, Palace are a good side. You know, listen to the fans saying, we shouldn't be drawing too well with Crystal Palace. What, the team that are in sixth and had a They're really fifth, good start That was a game season. between fifth and We're sixth. We're Arsenal, yeah. we should. It doesn't matter. You've got to, again, you can't just, that's not an excuse for behaving in the way that you do. We're tuning up, we should be winning that game. Fair enough, we should be beating Palace. Not so sure about that because Paris, Palace are a, a pretty good team. So again, it's that, it's that our fans entitled to behave in, in the way that they do and voice their opinions toward the players. Should the players just basically take it? and not react in the way that Shaka did. I've always thought it's utterly absurd that we have a higher bar for those on the field in terms of their behaviour, or a considerably higher bar for those on the field in terms of their behaviour than we do for those watching from the stands. It's always seemed absurd to me that we would expect a footballer in the heat of battle to be able to absorb the kind of abuse they might be receiving without any sort of reaction. And some of the punishments that we've seen hasn't happened all that often recently, but some of the punishments we've seen in the past for maybe, you know, players flipping the bird at fans on their way off who've been abusing them all, all afternoon. Or if Yale had Stuff um, expectorating in their direction. Well, that's, that, is obviously, that is obviously deplorable and, and deserves yeah, punishment. Yeah. But, you know, just for like, you know, flipping the fingers at the fans who've been abusing you all afternoon and they've, those, that player has been fined tens of thousands of pounds for that reaction. That, that seems just... With the Arsenal fans, if Shaka just basically put his head down, walked off and just walked down the tunnel, would they criticise him for it? He doesn't care. We, we, you know, we're clearly voicing our opinions of him and he just walked off without even any kind of... Re so he, whatever Shaka does, he can't win because they'll say, well, he's just picking up his money, doesn't care about the club, or he kind of answers back in his own way and they're saying, wait a minute, you can't do that to us. OK, but look, as a, as a player, Chinch, if you, whoever you're playing, I take on board what you say that you know, Arsenal, shouldn't feel in, Arsenal fans should not feel entitled to comfortably beat Crystal Palace at home because this is a whole other conversation we could have about fans of big clubs basically turning up and expecting to see their sides swap all opponents aside apart from the other members of the top six. But if, you, if you're winning 2-0 mm -hmm. against anyone yeah. and as fans you feel like you've seen a drop-off in level mm -hmm. in terms of protecting that lead, it's, it's disappeared and all of a sudden you're, you're scrapping to try and get yourselves back in front that if as the, the captain of the club is substituted, surely it is not unreasonable to show disapproval towards mm -hmm. that player. That's, that's not fans being entitled. Mm -hmm. That's fans being frustrated that they're not winning a game that at one point they and looked I, like they I, would yeah, do and so And I do tend to think it's not necessarily that game kind of epitomised everything that's been going wrong yeah. for quite some time. And so there, again, there are that, issues with Xhaka being a captain in the first and place again, he because came of off, that decision. Came off at Bramall Lane as well. Yeah. Captain comes off, so two consecutive games he's been taken off. But this is so... What I was getting onto there is that under, though, under those circumstances, mm -hmm. does Xhaka or any other Arsenal player mm -hmm. 
mm. not have to suck it up? Do you not have to accept that the fans are going to be frustrated you throwing away a 2-0 lead? There are certainly occasions, maybe numerous occasions, in which you could understand the player reacting in the way that he did. I'm not sure Sunday afternoon was the time for it. Or, or it being the captain, and perhaps if you are going to be the captain, you should have a wider sense of what is right and wrong, or what looks right and what looks wrong, and to perhaps behave more like that and that was what Ian Wright said on Match of the Day 2 that night for example he's the captain he needs to behave yeah. uh, like a captain just finally do those Arsenal fans and um, I don't know any of them who were booing so I could not say uh, but do those Arsenal fans consider it to be achieving an objective of booing if in the days afterwards Granite Xhaka talks about being devastated about the whole affair and about particularly how his reaction has, has brought him front and centre again. Did they, did they consider it a victory to say, we booed him and he feels awful, well done us? Well, well surely they want, if they want the best for Arsenal, they want Granite Xhaka to become a better player to influence games more for Arsenal to play better and to win games surely they want him to if they, if they see him now at the, at the very lowest he can be they, do they want him out of the club or do they want him to get back to being the captain and the player that can affect games that would be very interesting because a lot of the fans were saying that's it we draw a line under it you cannot behave like that whether it be captain or not you cannot treat fans like that he has no Arsenal future there's been some pundits saying that he has no Arsenal future but actually if we said to, to Arsenal fans if, if this could be turned around and everyone could learn lessons for this Shaka in particular and he became a much better player over the next five to ten games is that what you want or do you want to win and think well the fans are actually more important than the players the player has to then be dropped or leave the club because we cannot we cannot accept that. This this is what's going to be really interesting is where Arsenal go from here and where the fans want Arsenal to go and Shaka to go because if they're in it for the good of the the club and the team and and success going forward, if Shaka is one of your best players, don't you want him playing really good football in the team or do you want to, as you say, win in inverted commas? And, and have him dispense with, because then you feel as though your voice has really been heard and the, the coach has, has listened to it and they've actually got rid of a player that you're clearly unhappy with. But he, he can change and he can get better. Is that what you want or not? Just, just read out what, was, what are Arsenal saying about they're going to offer Granit Xhaka? Uh, they say counselling and we, we don't have any more details particularly thereafter. I can understand mentally that that must be a difficult situation for a player to deal with. And I think that's a really good reaction from Arsenal to say that they are looking after their, their players' mental well-being at a difficult time. And it's been bubbling along for a while. Yeah. It's not kind of, it's just come out of the blue. It's actually something that's probably been on his mind for, for some time. With the yeah, way and, that, have been going. and that's the kind of thing that we should see, see more of and yeah. perhaps that we should see more of publicly as well. Because I'm sure a lot of it goes on behind the scenes. But maybe Arsenal have done the right thing to say, Do you know what, this is the situation, how we're dealing with it. But I guess the counter to that would be that if you go off the field in the manner that he did with that, bring it on, mm -hmm. come on, give me some more of it, mm -hmm. then perhaps you're not quite as entitled as you might be under other circumstances to, to talk about how down you are, how difficult you are and how traumatic this has been for you because he, he, was, he was saying, bring it on. Mm -hmm. And maybe the reality of what's happened is, is the reality of the bring it on has has been a little bit more intense than than he'd anticipated. Well, Emery said he knows he was wrong. He feels it inside very deeply. He's feeling the supporters don't like him. Uh, I don't need his apology, says Emery, who does think that Xhaka should apologise to fans for how he behaved. Um, I know he is devastated. We can speak about all the situation, but first it's him. He is now very down. We need to support him. My ideal future is to watch again Xhaka playing and every supporter supporting him. I don't know if I can or will achieve it, but this is my ideal. Also for him, it's the same. I think we will see that. I think the next time Granit Xhaka is on the field in an Arsenal shirt, he will get support from the word go because there will be those now that think, hang on a second, yes, we were right to voice our disapproval under the circumstances that we did. Now is the time to say, look, you are our, you're our player, you're our captain. Mm -hmm. We get behind you now because that's kind of the roller coaster ride that you were on as a supporter. But when it comes to the next game, a line has been drawn in the sand and we start again collectively. Yeah, I think right-minded Arsenal fans will see a human being wearing an Arsenal shirt and understand maybe with what's happened, how devastated he is, the help that he's getting in terms of counselling, they will see, ah, hold on a minute, this is clearly affecting a human being. So he's not just a footballer made of stone that we can hurl abuse at and he just has to take it. Clearly, 
life isn't like that. So again, let, let's hope that, that something good comes out of this. Like with the Southampton situation, in terms of a squad and a group of players going forward, this is very much an individual and a, a group of fans. So again, hopefully, good things will come from this. Uh, Arsenal's next home game is against Wolves on the uh, upcoming Saturday, if you're listening to this, in the week of recording. And of course, uh, later on today, as we record, um, they're playing at Anfield in the uh, Carabao Cup. Uh, if you were an Arsenal fan and you were present and you boo, let us know. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We'll have a soccer story shortly. But first, here's an email from an Everton fan, Alex Will, who signs off with, cheers for the great pod, shout out to Andy's beautiful left foot. Very small, but beautiful left foot. Uh, Hello boys, says Alex. I'm not sure what's on the menu for discussion on the pod this week, but I would assume it's at least in part VAR. Well, it is now, Alex. As a long-suffering Evertonian, I've spent much of the past few days discussing the VAR-ruled penalty that turned the tide of the match at the Amex against Brighton over the weekend. That says nothing, he says, of our complete capitulation after that, but that's for another day. I've heard many claims that it was never a penalty, but I'm having a hard time agreeing. Yes, Aaron Connolly made the most of it, but how many times have we seen an accidental stamp lead to a direct free kick anywhere else in the pitch countless times I would imagine what if the issue here is not VAR but rather the laws of the game he says questioning everybody else's sanity but not ours hear me out he says and because we agree with him we are going to hear him out anywhere else on the pitch he says that's a likely free kick and no one has more than the obligatory fleeting moan by the laws of the game, if that fame, same foul occurs in that one 18-yard space, the punishment is far more costly. I think we all know that despite the laws not containing any nuance, refs have been using some discretion when awarding penalties versus fouls outside the 18-yard box. What VAR has done is taken away the capacity for nuance we've all come to expect and force a black-and-white interpretation of the laws. When you see the replay in slow motion, what else can the VAR official do but award the penalty if they are to stay within the laws of the game? Maybe VAR is doing its job job and what we really don't like are the laws of the game for what it's worth while i can understand why it was a penalty i worry for the future of the game if this is how penalties will be awarded going forward that is alex will and it provides a perfect jumping off point for another edition of steve wyatt's recurring feature for f's sake you don't go to var steve has to edit this episode so i'm making it easier for him um steve you have many thoughts on var just before you start what Alex says there is what I've been shouting, and I know Stephen has been shouting at people who have questioned VAR over the course of the first few weeks of the Premier League season. Thank you, Alex. Some sanity. Now, Stephen. Yes, Alex is absolutely right. I'm getting increasingly frustrated to hear people talking about how VAR is ruining the game. Those are the same cameras that have been filming football all along. Those are the same replays that we have been watching for decades. That technology has been in place for as long as any of you care to remember. What is different is that somebody, an official, is watching on and is making a decision based on the laws of the game from reviewing that incident. VAR is not ruining anything. The interpretation of the laws of the game might be to your distaste or they might be interpreted in a way that you are unfamiliar with but it is not the fault of the camera that is pointing <laughs> at the incident. And a couple of things since the weekend there that is have more really change. stuck oh, out. There's, there always, there's always more. As I've heard a couple of things great stuff since the weekend that really do demonstrate the depth of misunderstanding that is being perpetuated. One of them, I am getting bored of hearing this phrase clear and obvious. Why are you getting bored of it? It's literally the whole nine yards. That is why we have it. That is, is it a clear and obvious error? That, I mean, you're Should we have, have grey and disputable? <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you want <laughs> to come, much better. If you want to come up with a new phrase, that is fine. But that is why we have VAR. And I think, you know, there's, we have seen some incidents in the most recent Premier League weekend where that no longer apply to clear and obvious, that were overturned. Yeah. They've gone from one extreme to the other. You know, we haven't got time necessarily uh, to get There's been that. an overcorrection. There the has, high bar yes. is now one you have to limbo under. Yes, exactly. I mean, how you can go from Jan Vertonghen on Gerard Delafeu fouling him twice quite clearly and that not being a penalty to what may be in the, in the Brighton-Everton game being an accidental collision, being definitely a clear and obvious error. As Hugh says, there has been an overcorrection. But we cannot be bored of the phrase clear and obvious because that is the exact parameters by which the, the, the system is being used. The other one I heard was we were promised VAR 
would give us consistency. No, you weren't. At what point did anybody promise consistency? That's almost impossible to deliver whether you've got technology or not because it will still be up to the interpretation of the officials reviewing that instrument. What you might get is, is a greater percentage of correct decisions. Mm -hmm. What you will never get is greater consistency because one set of officials watching game A will not also be officiating game B. And I guarantee all the unhappiness of fans is when decisions go against their team. When it goes for their team, they won't say anything and VAR is, they won't say it's brilliant, but they'll say, well, that's what yeah. VAR should do when it goes against their team is, this is ridiculous. Where's the consistency? And Clear and obvious. What, what on earth does that mean? And, and to come back to, you know, to come back to the Arsenal Crystal Palace game, I mean, that's perhaps the best example, the, the, what would have been the winning goal ruled out for a trip by Callum Chambers on, it was Milivojevic, wasn't it? He was allegedly tripped. But whilst he was being pushed in the back by Gary Cahill, it's just an example of that was a coming together of footballers, limbs piling into each other, the ball broke free. No, nothing, at no point did anything clear and obvious no, happen no, in no. that incident. Yeah. So what happened in terms of the ball hitting the back of the net should have stuck. Yes, mm. and you don't want to be in the situation where you've got the VAR looking at the footage to try and find a reason not to have something that has already happened yeah. stand. And yeah. that, that is the infuriating part about the, mm. the, the bar being uh, lowered. Just, just on the propensity of VAR to bring about more of something, uh, Jack Pitbrook has uh, written in The Athletic, which is uh, second only to The New York Times in terms of getting your sport content behind a paywall. Um, but he, uh, he talks about the fact that uh, even though um, VAR has come in this season, there has been uh, a few kind of real close VAR decisions on offside, which have kind of brought about the, the conversation about whether the offside rule uh, should be that um, specific. The trend of offsides per game is continuing to go down this season, even though VAR has been introduced. So there is not a huge amount suddenly of offsides, and that's probably about the way the teams play football these days. But but also there is not this this fear that everybody says there's going to be penalty, 100 penalties in a game, everything's going to be offside all the time. It's not happening currently. But also, what, but also what you're trying, I presume what you're trying to do with the Callum Chambers one, I agree totally. But what you're trying to do is again, these instances are happening surprisingly the cameras are picking up these incidents which they've been doing as you say for decades you're passing that decision on to what you would hope would be the most informed people to make a decision on what is happening from you passing it on to the referees whether it be on field or at stockley park so again i i, I do agree yes the court are going to be these gray areas and again it is a little bit subjective a fan might see it very differently from the referee but the referee is trained and that's why the decision is his and not the fan of the team when the player goes down <laughs> stick with it honestly Having covered the Bundesliga since they've had VAR, which was introduced two years before it was in the in the Premier League, they just it's so smooth now, and there is almost no recriminations to decisions. It it, it just works more or less effortlessly. I think in the long run it'll be worth the short term. Did pain. you see the clip in the Bundesliga two where the substitute touched the ball before it had gone out of play, and the referee gave the penalty, and the penalty was scored, and everyone's saying this is incredibly controversial. No. That's the rules of the game exactly. which VAR is applying. So VAR is not wrong. It spotted something that wouldn't have been seen last year. It was absolutely correct. And people are going, this is amazing. This shouldn't be. What are you talking about? Of course it should happen because that's the rules of the game. I just think the sub was wanted to demonstrate to his boss what a great first touch he had. Get me on. And it was. He I can do a job. Stone <laughs> it, but he's actually on the pitch when he did it. This is not an episode about VAR. We will do that, I imagine, countless times in the future. But one final point, and I'm in charge, so I get to do this, is that when the Ryan Bertrand incident was shown on the big screen to the Southampton fans, which were still inside the stadium in that Leicester game, the protestations from both player and fans seemed to dissipate almost immediately because they saw that it was a red card tackle and the right decision had been made. So there is another argument for something that isn't necessarily happening all the time. Those incidents show them on the big screen and it Did allows for people to understand why this is happening and they stop kind of shouting and throwing stones at something that sits in the big, big, big stock. So did they the do sky. that because that, that challenge wasn't seen at the time? Was it, in a, it was an attack, wasn't it? Yes. It made a bad challenge. So back. that's why they did it to say, this, by the way, this red is why it's been recorded. He didn't do it, he did do it, and this is why we've... Oh, right, I see what you mean. So again, yeah. fans being sensible, see why it's there. Um, by the way, we have not... And this is my fault, and I'm in charge, so it's my fault. Um, I have not mentioned that Stephen has laid on an incredible breakfast for us. I have been munching away at my large slice of melon. Um, and we have... Stephen, thank you very much indeed. We are your third and fourth chil children, child, boys, sons. Um, a pack of Kellogg's variety. Yeah. So I'm having the Frosties. Um, this... <laughs> 
Frosties. It's now time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is an Andy Hitchcliffe tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Um... People look at people look at maybe the, the work that I do, co-commentary work and punditry work, as being it's all about Honourable. the glamour. It's all about the glamour <laughs> and the and the the great lives lifestyle that we have. And you look at you know Jose Mourinho in this beautifully clean antiseptic studio, Roy Keane there with his smart suits on. Think well, everybody is being treated in the same way, but it, it isn't quite allowed. I, I talked about again doing co-commentary, being out in the wilds, being in with the fans, which is great. It's freezing cold in the winter. I, you know, I've been to South End and climbed a, a, an aluminium ladder at 45 degrees for about 20 feet, which clearly shouldn't be happening. I've been to remember again at Berry when it was basically uh, an aluminium ladder again, freezing cold in the middle of November, where if you licked the ladder, your tongue would stick to it, which clearly I didn't do. And you're wearing the, the slippy shoes, the high high fashion shoes that I tend to wear for Stephen's matches. Stephen's taking the Frosties. I just wanted to say that. I just Cocoa said I wanted the Frosties. I thought you said Cocoa Pops. I thought you wanted Cocoa Pops. I needed to mention it because I'm furious. Go so on. anyway, you've got all this kind of the glamorous looking side of the job and also how it's not quite like that. But I was... At the, 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 the strangest place for something really lovely to happen was, was Burnley. Burnley against Chelsea. I was invited. I don't know whether, Steve, you, you've, you've seen the NBC Winnebago. I have, Have you yes. heard about the NBC Winnebago? I am that, familiar that, with its work. That trundles around the country and comes to obviously the big Premier League games and, and Burnley as well. Um, and I was invited by Arlo White into, to sit in the, in the NBC, which is a, is it a quite big... American media Par- outlets. Apparently, it's, it, yeah. is, it is a largely significant yeah, I've, I've heard of them. peacock-based but this, American broadcast. It's a Winnebago, which is, it's in essence, it's a, it's a mobile, is it a mobile home? No, it's, how do we describe it over here? The, mobile home It's sign. not a caravan, is it? Because it's, Bigger it's, than that. It, it connects to like a, a thing that drives it away. But this is absolutely the most, extra- it has a, a fireplace in it. Obviously, they have the games on that, that are being played while we were at Burnley. Obviously, it was a late kickoff, so they were showing the games, the three o'clock games on the on the big screen. There's a state-of-the-art coffee machine. There's the, the fridge and fridge. It's unbelievably plush. And so I sat in there. In came Graham Lasso and Lee Dixon. It's like a full-backs reunion. They weren't sure who first, I was for first a while, choice I, they, When I told them who I was, they said, oh, yeah, sorry, you've aged a bit, but I do realise. So it was lovely. <laughs> Rob Hawthorne, who was working with me for, for Sketch. So we're all sat in this beautifully warm, Plush, and I, I didn't actually want to leave and do the game. It was that enjoyable that I was hoping I could maybe co-commentate from inside the window. But Sky don't have anything like this. We have our production trucks, which are basically there to do a job, or you have to go into the press room. Now, I love press rooms. Burn, you, must, you know the Burnley press room. Oh, yes. It's uh, slightly rough and ready, isn't it? Yeah, you can't get the smell of pies out of your clothes for weeks. After it is a good pie, there. though. It's a good pie, but they've, they've branched out into curry now as well, which... For my Hugo Boss suits, that really is not good. But it was just, it's my first real, I felt like, I felt like Jose Mourinho and Roy Keane must feel every time they come to work for us. Because this is the kind of treatment they get. You know, plush carpeting, shag pile, I presume. Fires. It's just everything you would want. You'd feel like, I should really have, every time I work, I, I should be pampered. Because of the extraordinary work that I do. But maybe... You know, it ends up with Mourinho and Keane getting looked after a lot better than I do. I think I get the rough end. So, again, I'm trying to affiliate myself a little bit with NBC, and I'm hoping to use the <laughs> Winnebago as much as possible in the future. I'm hoping to get a kind of a platinum card so it allows me into the Winnebago game after game. Well, well, Arlo is, of course, a friend of the pod, so hello, Arlo. Um, was there any sort of mischievous intent to him inviting you into the, the Winnebago? Was he trying to sort of... Try- I think you need to declare that sort of thing. Do you I- think so? Yes, I do. That, that is an illegal approach. Is it though? Yeah. No, 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 no. He's basically he's being tapped he's using, up. No, 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 no. He's, he's <laughs> using Chinch's leverage to get better out of the fullbacks that they've already got ah, on the payroll. Look at what yes. you could have been. He's saying to Graham Lasso and Lee Dixon. Yes. You could be this erudite up and well dressed. Up your game, dressed. boys. Yeah. Because if you, if you don't up your game, we have got a substitute fullback waiting in the well, wings. Graham Lasso knows all about that already. And Lee Dixon Chinch really was. didn't like it because it was a, a cold. It's five thirty at Burnley, and it's going to be cold. And he had like a chiffon light scarf on. And I did say to him, "What? that clearly, it's not fashionable and it's not warm. Why are you wearing it? 
he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy at all. He turned to the rest of the, uh, the press room and said, anyone else want to have a go at my scarf? Five people put their hands up, and he just walked <laughs> away very quickly. Uh, Chinch, thank you very much indeed for another soccer story. If you have one of your own, don't forget to send it to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Incidentally, if you also have a Reacher novel, maybe the new one called Blue Moon, open it, take a photo, send it to us. That is really all it takes to get your out-of-context Reacher on Set Piece Menu. Don't forget to buy your ticket as well for Set Piece Menu Live. Our 100th episode is taking place on the 13th of November, two weeks as we speak as part of the Manchester Podcast Festival. Head to their website, manchesterpodcastfestival.com, to get your tickets. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Andy, to Stephen and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I'm so glad you, did you, um, what did you go you've for? forced me to hand over the Frosties because I've ended up with Rice Krispies multi-grain shapes, which quite frankly are the king of cereal. There are well, several ways of Stephen talking on the podcast with his mouth full and we've just found a new one. Because I, I, the variety packs I do remember as a kid and I gave them to my kids as well, but the, the cornflakes were something clearly as an eight-year-old. You, why would you ever eat cornflakes? Why are apparently, they Hugh, you were telling me... They're very, in terms of cholesterol, well, I love cornflakes now. My dad was told to stop eating them. He's now on Otibix. Is this, is this true? Is it an, it's true. It's not an urban myth. Cornflakes are high in cholestro- cholesterol. Are bad for you? Well, cornflakes? the amount that my father was eating would be bad for anybody. How much was he eating? Like bathtubs full of this stuff. How, <laughs> yes. how, how much and was he eating? And it wasn't just for children in need either. He Seriously. was actually bathing in cornflakes. When you were growing up, was there a cupboard in your kitchen which was just cornflakes? Yes, open it and it just cascaded down onto <laughs> him and he just then poured milk on his head and then just nom, 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 like, like, like a slightly thinner, shorter cookie monster. <laughs> My father is a cornflake monster.